Hi everyone. Well, it's a joy for me to be able to share God's word with you today. However, I do have to admit that it is tinged with a little bit of disappointment because a couple of months ago when this uh, preaching slot was locked in, it meant that Ness and I would have the opportunity to be back at New Vine and catch up with everyone. But unfortunately, uh, as we all know, our current COVID restrictions have denied us that opportunity. So from Ness and I, a big virtual hug to you all, and I look forward to being able to give you one in the flesh somewhere down the not too distant track. Back in August 2018, before COVID restrictions ruled our lives, Ness and I set out for a six week trip to uh, Outback Australia, traveling and camping with our good friends, Pete and Jen Doyle who just a couple of months prior to that trip had blessed us with a beautiful daughter-in-law, Jess, who has also now blessed us with a beautiful little grandson. So thanks to all involved. I'll never forget laying on the ground one night in the middle of the Simpson Desert, looking up at the stars and being completely in awe of what I was seeing. The cloudless sky was illuminated by a blanket of twinkling stars. You could literally see the Milky Way stretching across the, the night sky. And in that moment, I was reminded of the greatness of God who created it all. And I was also reminded by my own sense of smallness. And I imagine that many of us can relate to a similar experience. Those times where the night sky has just come alive to us. And I can also imagine David, the author of many of the Psalms, sitting out on the hills at night under a cloudless sky, looking up to the heavens and speaking the words of Psalm 8, those words that were read to us earlier. Thanks to the Reed Gang for that reading. Last week, Luke kicked off a series on Psalms called Songs for All Seasons. And I wonder what season of life you find yourself in at present. As we move from winter to spring in our season, I wonder what season you're in. Do you feel like you're still stuck in winter? Do you feel like there is new life and new hope emerging? Well, whatever season you might find yourself in this morning, I want to just suggest that this psalm has two central points for us to embrace that I think can be helpful for us in whatever season we're in. And we can outline this psalm very simply. Verses 1 to 3 remind us that God matters more than anything. God matters more than anything. And the second point this psalm brings out in verses 4 to 9 is that you matter to God more than you know. God matters more than anything, and you matter to God more than you know. The theme of Psalm 8 is found in verse 1, and uh, it's repeated again in verse 9. David begins and ends the psalm with these words, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. The first word Lord there, you might notice in your Bible, is all uppercase. And that's the name in Hebrew for God, which is Yahweh. And it was the unspoken name of God. And it means the self-existent one. The second use of Lord in that verse 
you might notice in your Bible, is capital L, but then lowercase. And it's the name Adonai, which again is Lord, but it's a title that reflects that he is the master of everything. So the first use of Lord, which is Yahweh, focuses on God's otherness, his separateness from us. And the second use of Lord, which is Adonai, helps us to see that God is personally involved with us. God is both powerful, Yahweh, and he is both personal, Adonai. Theologically speaking, he is both eminent and imminent. We get into trouble when we emphasize one of these aspects or truths about God at the exclusion of the other. If we picture God as being far removed from us, Yahweh, as one who is mysterious and to be feared, we can feel like it's impossible to know him. Conversely, if we focus only on him as Adonai, as close and forgiving and loving and not expecting too much of us, then we can trivialize him and downplay his divinity. And Psalm 8 calls us to embrace this paradox. God is both beyond us and right near us. He is both other and he is ours. He is mighty, but he's also mine. And David says God's majestic name fills the earth. This means that his name, which represents all that God is, his name is excellent and famous in the earth. There is no one else like him. And as David stared into the night sky, he became increasingly aware of the weighty truth that God's glory fills not just the earth, but is surely higher than the heavens that he's staring into. Verse 2 takes us from the highest heavens to one of the smallest things on earth. David says, You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. David moves from heavenly bodies to human bodies. Why is that? Well, I thought, well, maybe it's because, uh, like many of us, maybe when we've been enjoying one of those quiet moments under the night sky, maybe a glass of red uh, or juice, whatever your preference is, uh, maybe one of those moments, those serene moments, was interrupted by a baby's cry or a child's voice. Uh, we've all been there. We've uh, had little children. But you know, sometimes those interruptions have something to teach us. Sometimes those interruptions by our little kids are profoundly important. We just sadly miss them. You see, young children in their innocence can often sense what we as adults are blind to. It might be possible for an adult to look up at the stars in a blasé way, but a young child might be blown away by the same sense of wonder as David expresses here. Children have an innocent acknowledgement of simple yet profound truths. And in that innocent acknowledgement uh, of God and his glory that children often have, the sophisticated and the arrogant are often revealed. Listen to how Jesus takes the words of this psalm and in Matthew 21 
15 to 16, answers the Pharisees' objections about him. Jesus says, uh, when the chief, uh, says, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that Jesus did and heard the children out in the temple crying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. These verses help us to see that praise is instinctive to us as human beings. We've been made to worship him. And as children, in a sense, it's natural for us to do that, as both David and Jesus point out here. Children have an innate ability to see and embrace things, including the things of God, simply and literally. It's tragic that we lose that as adults. I heard a story about a father who was reading a Bible story to his children about Lot. And uh, he says uh, to his kids, the man named Lot was warned to take his wife and flee out of the city. But his wife looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. And when he was done, one of his children said to him, Dad, what happened to the flea? Dad joke, you'll have to think about that. <clears throat> Psalm 8 goes on and in verse 3, David's mind uh, returns to the marvels of what he's seeing in the night sky. And he says, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, uh, the moon and the stars that you've set in place, as David looks up at this night sky, he quickly acknowledges God's creation. He refers to it as the work of your fingers, which is actually uh, a, a bit of a, a reference to tapestry. The work of fingers in tapestry uh, is the, the phrase David uses to talk about the way that God has knit his creation together and set it in place. And, and David is obviously astonished at the greatness of a God who could create and knit together such splendid things. And David could only see a fraction of what you and I can now see with the advancement of technology, and yet he was overwhelmed nonetheless. And it's these first three verses that help us to see who God is, the majesty and might of God, and to remind us that God matters more than anything. God matters more than matter. And God matters more than what matters to you at the moment if that thing is not God. This is an important perspective to maintain as we navigate the seasons of life. Because no matter what's going on within me, no matter what's going on around me, God matters more than that thing. The rest of the psalm establishes a second truth that is built on the former. And that second truth, as I mentioned, is simply this. You matter to God more than you know. You matter to God more than you know. The first half of this psalm focuses on God's glory. The second half answers the age-old questions, what is man? Who is man? How do we fit into the cosmos? How do we fit into God's plan and purpose? Why are we here? Well, I want to suggest that these questions can only be answered as we come to grips with who God is. Any attempt to find out who we are apart from the one who made us is doomed for frustration and failure. 
See, our, our humanity can only be understood in the light of his divinity. And in this season of life, in this season of your life, you can only find meaning, you can only find purpose, you can only find understanding when you first truly understand who God is. So as David pondered the awesomeness of God, <clears throat> as revealed in the stars and the creation that he was beholding, his thoughts eventually come back to earth. And for all of us, that's true. We can get caught up in wonder and worship of God, but at some point in time, our thoughts are going to come back to earth, come back to the everydayness of life. How we respond to that everydayness of life has everything to do with our ability to worship and wonder and marvel at who God is. So in verse 4, David says, What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them? On this dark night, on this little pebble of a planet, David wonders why God, the God who created it all, would even care about us. Listen carefully. In God's eyes, you are more precious than the planets. In God's eyes, you are more magnificent than the Milky Way. In God's eyes, you are more spectacular than a supernova. Do you get my drift? You understand what I'm trying to say here? The galaxies that God has created are like a crown of jewels that God has placed upon your head as the pinnacle of his creation. If there's anything more marvelous than the sheer scale and splendor of the universe, it's that you matter to God. And when David says here that God thinks about us, the word think is a covenant term indicating that God doesn't just think about us. It, it's a covenantal term, meaning that God remembers us and is committed to us. And the word care here literally means to visit, to visit. And this is a comforting truth in the various seasons of life. Not only is God committed to us, but he also looks for ways to visit us, to come close to us and to bless us. Sadly, for some of us, we don't really believe. We find it hard to grasp that God treasures us and thinks lovingly about us. But that is the truth. For some of you, you have a hard time believing that God genuinely cares about you. In Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18, it says this, How precious to me are your thoughts. So this is the psalmist saying, How precious to me are your thoughts, God, about me. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. You understand what that is saying? It's saying that you can't even count the number of times that God thinks about you. And he's thinking good thoughts about you, okay? Some of you might be thinking, yeah, yeah, I know what God's thinking about me. He's thinking, smite. No, God is thinking good thoughts about you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's committed to you. He longs to draw close to you and visit you with his blessings. Zephaniah 3.17 reinforces this wonderful truth. It says, the Lord your God is with you. 
He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. What a beautiful picture. When God thinks about you, which he does all the time, he takes great delight in you and he breaks out in a happy song, maybe even a happy dance, all just because of you and the thoughts that he has about you and the joy that those thoughts bring him. There has always been and when all and will always be a special place in the heart of God for humans, for you and for me. Why? Because he made us superior to any other part of his creation. Now listen again to what David says in verses 5 to 8. He says, uh, you made them, speaking of humanity, you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish of the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. We were made just a little lower than the angelic beings, or a little lower than God himself. And we've been crowned David says, with glory and honor and given authority over everything that God has created. This is a statement that harks way back to Genesis, to the very beginning. This was God's original intent, to crown us, the pinnacle of his creation, with glory and honor and give us authority over everything that he created. But these verses can leave us feeling a little bit unsettled, can't they? Because we know that while we can ride a horse and we can train a dog, you can't train a cat, but you can train a dog. All of God's creation is definitely not under our control. Cats, as I said, just prove that fact. All of creation is definitely not under our control. Earthquakes, volcanoes, floods, fires, sickness, death are evidence that our world is out of whack. All is not right on planet Earth. And in case you somehow missed that fact, COVID has been a stark reminder to us that things are not as they should be. And the writer of Hebrews, many, many years after David wrote this psalm, is well aware of this tension that things should be other than they are. Listen to what he says in Hebrews 2, 6 to 8. <clears throat> well, sorry, I say he because I assume that the writer of Hebrews is a man, but we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. Could have been a woman. But the uh, writer of Hebrews says this, What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet for a little while you made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them authority over all things. Do those words sound familiar? They should because the writer of Hebrews here is quoting Psalm 8. David's very words. But then the writer of Hebrews adds something. And these are the words added. Now, when it says all things, in reference to us having authority over all things, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But, as the writer of Hebrews rightly observes, we have not yet seen all things put under our authority. You know, we've come a long way, haven't we, from the day God made mankind and gave him authority and dominion over the earth. Great things have happened. Inventions have made life 
easier. We've looked for ways to harness our planet's potential. We've headed off into space looking for other worlds to conquer. We've done well. Or have we? You know, there's still one thing, isn't there, that we don't have dominion over. Despite all of the advances and achievements of humankind, there's one thing that we still don't have dominion over. Do you know what that is? Have a look at yourself. It's us. We still don't have dominion over ourselves. We've still never learned to subdue our own sinful nature. It was unleashed into the human bloodstream by Adam and Eve, and it continues to infect and affect our lives today. It's the root of the human dilemma. We're image bearers of God, and yet we know that image has been tarnished by sin. But the writer of Hebrews goes on to give us the answer to our predicament. He indicates that the words of Psalm 8 no longer apply just to us, but ultimately they refer to Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews says from verse 9, What we do see, having just highlighted that everything is not yet under our authority and control, the writer of Hebrews says what we do see, however, is Jesus who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered for death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. We were made in the image of God to rule and reign with him and for him on the earth. But because of sin, we rejected God and unknowingly pursued destruction for both our planet and ourselves. But Jesus came to put things right. Let me say that again. Jesus came to put things right between God and his creation. And when we put our faith in him, we will become what God has made us to be, his children. An interesting reference to the children again in Psalm 8. We will become his children and we will tell of his strength. God is fashioning a new creation of men and women, boys and girls, to reflect his image and glory and to accomplish his purposes in the world. That's what this psalm ultimately is reminding us of and pointing us toward in Jesus and the salvation that's available to us through him. But as this psalm also reminds us, there is an order or a pattern to the way in which God's purposes are achieved. And it can be summed up in three words, divinity, humanity, and humility. That's the progression of this psalm. We see it spoken by David here. David is in awe of God's divinity. He's aware of his own humanity. And in humility, he's committed to God and humbled by the fact that God would include him in his plans. You know, there's a lot of chatter going on, isn't there, in this COVID season around vaccinations and vaccination passports. And fair enough, it's uncharted territory. And uh, for me, there are three words that I think are associated with that chatter. 
For some people, it's causing uncertainty. For others, anxiety. And in some, hostility. Uncertainty, anxiety, hostility. They're three very, very different words to the words of Psalm 8. Divinity, humanity, and humility. I want to encourage you this morning, focus on what Psalm 8 is reminding us of. Firstly, two simple truths. God matters more than anything. And you matter to God more than you know. The seasons of life, including this COVID season, and God's purposes in those seasons are best understood by us first acknowledging God's divinity and sovereignty over all things, then reminding ourselves of his commitment to us in our humanity, and then in humility, committing ourselves to work with him, to partner with him in the restoration of his created order, trusting that God's plans will prevail. David closes this psalm by repeating verse 1, as I said earlier. A verse which we have even more reason to cry out than David did because of what Jesus has done for us. So let me end with those words. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. God bless you.